What does it look like to be plugged in into the next generation? In fact, we've called this whole weekend Next Generation Weekend. Yesterday, we had 40 plus volunteers in a, in a Next Generation training, our volunteers and LP kids and LP students. And I just invest in our leaders and I equip them for greater ministry of, in, our, in our LP kids and LP student environment. And uh, it was a wonderful time and some great things that have happened. But today I want to share a message because I think what I want to talk about today doesn't just apply to a volunteer for LP kids or LP students. But that just applies for all of us, for every one of us. And, 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 and here's my goal of this message. Um, it's not to get you, you know, to sign up for LP kids, LP volunteers. You know, be a volunteer for LP kids or LP students. That might happen, and that'd be great, but that's not the goal of this. And, and as you see this message, you're going to see how this message is bigger than that. It's bigger than being a volunteer for LP kids and LP students. In 1642, 380 years ago, there was a young boy that was born in a very small village in England in Woolsthorpe, Woolsthorpe, England, and, and he was born, and you see a picture of this house. He was born inside of this house, and this young boy's life couldn't have started off any worse than it did. First of all, he was born premature, which you know, may not be as big of a deal today, but 380 years ago, that was a big deal. He was born premature, and he was, for many, many years, very, very weak, and uh, had a lot of health issues, and... Um, at a young age. On top of that, um, his dad um, had died before the child was born. And so here he came in to a young mom, a widow mom, who was 19 years old, who had no financial stability. They were very, very poor, barely had food on the table. And then when the boy was three years old, a priest from another village came in and, uh, and she proposed to this young mother. Now the priest was 70 years old. The mother at this time was 22. Now that's kind of a whole wild story in and of itself right there. But, uh, but, uh, but he uh, proposed to this young mom to marry him and to move in with him in this residence in this other village. But there was one condition. It was a sad condition, and that condition was the young mom couldn't bring that boy. The priest hated the boy. And for whatever reason, the young mother accepted that proposal for the sake of financial stability. She left the small boy with her parents to be raised by them. She got married to the priest. She moved in his house. And she never really saw that boy again for many, many, many years. And when you're only three years old, you, know, you don't know everything, but you know when you've been rejected. You know the pain of that. You know when those who should have loved you are not doing that. And that boy later became a man, and he actually wrote a memoir, and it's actually a heartbreaking read as you talk about that period in his life, you know, how he would be as a little boy walk over to that other village on a high hill, overlooking the village, looking at the house where his mom was living, 
where that priest was living. And, and he would sit there for hours, and he would actually hate for hours. He, he would hate the mother for giving him away, you know, and, 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 and rejecting him. He, he would hate the priest who took the mother away from him. And, and he would hate the God that the priest represented. And as the years went by, that hate kind of spread into that young boy's life. And, 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 and when he started school, he was an angry child. He was, a, uh, he was mean. He was a bully. Uh, he didn't want to learn. Teachers didn't want to be around him. And, 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 and nobody wanted to be with him. He was a huge problem at this small school. And one day, there was a man that moved to that village and he became the new teacher of that school. Now history doesn't tell us much about this person except we know his name. And his name is John Houston and he was a devout believer. And as he started being, being a teacher at this new school, he noticed and he recognized this boy and where everybody else didn't want to have anything to do with him, John Houston's eyes fixated on this young boy and saw something that nobody else saw. He saw the heart. He saw something that kid, and, 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 and there were easier kids to deal with. There were easier tasks to deal with, and yet he did the hard work. He kept going back to that boy, listening to that boy, loving that boy, encouraging that boy, giving that boy time, investing in that young man, that young kid. Now, previously, every year, this boy's grades, before John Houston showed up, his bo the boy's grade had come back saying three things. They were lazy, would not learn, and... No, he, not, nothing good for him. Good, he's good for nothing. But as the month turned into years, and as John Houston invested in him, that young boy's dark little heart began to open up. And all of a sudden, John Houston started seeing the potential of this young student, that he was actually a very smart kid. In fact, you know, he noted that he was really excelling in the areas of math and, and, and science. And John Houston kept developing him and kept pouring into his life. And by the time he graduated from high school, he was at the top of his class. And John Houston, you know, pushed him to go to a, a, a prestigious college called Trinity College in Cambridge. And John Houston partially you know, he paid most of it. And he goes and and, and this young man, you know, uh, over time became the talk of the university. And then a few years later, he became the talk of the city. And a few years later after that, he became the talk of the nation. And today, he is the talk of the world because he became one of the greatest scientists of all time. His name was Sir Isaac Newton. Sir Isaac Newton. And I've been to his grave in London at Westminster Abbey. You know, and it's a, it's a, it's a, a famous place. In fact, that's where you see the, the famous weddings, the royalty, royal weddings, you know, that you see, um, you know, with the, with the queen and, 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 uh, and, and, and Prince Philip and all, all those guys. They, they, that, 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 that's the place. And Sir Isaac Newton is, born, is buried 
in that church. And on his grave is this epitaph. And I've got it on your handout notes. You can see on the screen behind me. It says, here lies Sir Isaac Newton, a man with an intellect close to the divine. Mortals rejoice that such an ornamental humanity existed. I mean, they kind of knew their ways around words back then, didn't they? He said, you know, this man, this one man right here, there, there were two different verdicts about his life, right? One verdict said that he was lazy, would not learn, good for nothing. And the other verdict says that he was an intellect close to the divine. And then I wonder, you know, what was the breaking point for Sir Isaac Newton? What was the hinge point that turned it all around? And the answer, my friend, is this, that one man who accepted his calling to be a spiritual parent to the next generation, one man who chose to see the things that were not seen by the physical eyes and dared to surround the next generation with an atmosphere of faith and encouragement, and unleash the full potential and the full calling of Sir Isaac Newton. And you're wondering why I share this story with you, and it's because of this, is that we all need, that we need an army of Sean Houston in our time. We need an army of spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers, who will realize that our purpose of being here on earth is not only to fulfill the plans and the calling that God has put on our lives, but to pave the way for the next generation. And why we do that? And that's because God is a God of generations. If you look at Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 15, God is talking to Moses. And he said to Moses, he said, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. You see, God introduces himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not only is he referring to three individuals, but he's actually referring to three generations. What he's saying is, I am the God of generations. And if God is the God of generations, then God's kingdom is the kingdom of generations. And as this kingdom moves from this generation to the next, it should not be this roller coaster ride. You know, when one generation you know, it's doing well, and the next generation, forget about God. You know, but it should be a constant moving from glory to glory to glory, from one generation to the next generation to the next generation, honoring and glorifying who God is. And, 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 and this is what we need. We need an army of John Houston for that to happen because it will not happen by accident. The next generation is not just going to stumble into a generation for God by accident. 
It requires an army of spiritual fathers, spiritual parents that will invest into the next generation. Here's the key thought. And I'm going to confess, this is not an original thought. In fact, I don't even know who to give credit to because I've seen this thought so many times by so many different people. You know, but here's the thought. Maybe you've heard this before. Your greatest contribution may not be something that you do, but someone that you raise. Your greatest contribution in life may not be something that you do, but someone that you raise. And listen, this is not a responsibility that we get to outsource to LP kids volunteers and LP student leaders. That's not, that's not the, what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to outsource and say, okay, that's my job. I, I take them to church and I let them be the John Houston for the next generation. That, that's not the job. You see, if you're 20 years or older, you should already be looking over your shoulder and seeing someone that's younger than yourself and praying for them, encouraging them, investing in them, mentor them into the next generation. All of us. That means if, hey, that means if you're in your 60s or 70s, you, you, may, you may be looking back at someone who are in their 40s and 50s. If you're in your 40s or 50s, you might be looking back at someone that's 10 years younger than you. Or maybe just a few years younger than you. You might be someone, you know, in your 40s that wants to invest in a, in, a, in a 14-year-old or 12-year-old young man or young lady. But every person looking back over their shoulders so who am I paving the way for the next generation so I can surround them with an atmosphere of faith? And we see this throughout the scripture. All throughout the scripture we see this. We see this with Moses and a young man named Joshua. Joshua, you know, when he first started hanging out with Moses, you know, Joshua was probably a young man, maybe 15, 16, 17 years old. And, 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 and Moses began to invest in Joshua. Now Moses, you know, he was known to have time with God one-on-one. In fact, before they built the tabernacle in the, in the, in the, in the camp, you know, uh, Moses would pitch his tent outside of the camp. And God would meet with Moses one-on-one, almost daily. He would pitch the tent, and, and, and people would all see it. People could see it from a distance. They'd say, oh, wait a minute. There's the, there's the, 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 the cloud, you know, the smoke of, of, the, of the presence of God is, is hovering over the tent where Moses was hanging out. And he was hanging out with God one-on-one. But in Exodus chapter 33, we see something that's very interesting. Again, Moses is meeting with God at his tent. But notice what we see here in verse number 11 that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaking to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But in this particular instance, his young aide, Joshua, did not leave the tent. In other words, what we're seeing here is the pattern where Moses hanging out with God one and but at some point, he started bringing Joshua and said, come on, I'm going to show you what it means to spend time 
with God. And in this specific incident, Moses and God finished talking and he walked away and Joshua was so moved by the presence of God, he's still there, he's hanging out. Moses was a spiritual parent to Joshua. And after Moses was gone from the scene, it was Joshua that carried the mantle of leadership, that carried the spiritual leadership for that country. We, we see the same theme in the story of Eli and Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter three. Y'all know that story with young Samuel, young little boy, you know, he's, he's spending the night sleeping in the temple. I mean, there's a kid that, you know, grew up in church, okay? He's <laughs> sleeping in the church, you know, sleeping in the temple, you know, and, 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 and being mentored by the priest Eli. And one night, in the middle of the night, Samuel hears his name. He wakes up, he goes, he thinks it's Eli calling for him. He goes and finds Eli and says, hey, Master, I'm here, you know, uh, you want me? And, and Eli said, oh, I, I need to call for you. Go back to bed. Uh, so Samuel goes back to bed, right? And he hears his name again. And so, you know, Samuel gets up, he runs down to Eli, and, and then Eli, you know, that goes on a few more times, Eli realized, okay, this is not, you know, Samuel's hearing the voice of God. And it was in that moment, that Eli, based on his experience and past experience, he began to teach Eli how to approach God, how to connect with God. He tells him how to respond. Eli invested in Samuel's life, and, and God started speaking to Samuel, and, and one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament was born in that moment. And then Samuel grows up. And, and, and he becomes a spiritual parent, a spiritual father to another young man named David. Remember David? We've, we, we've been a, a long sermon series in the fall. If you were with us in last fall, we did a sermon series on David. And, 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 and if you remember, David um, was not invited to the audition to be the next king. His father rejected him. His father, his own father didn't think he was Keen material. But Samuel saw something in David. He saw something. He got past the outside exterior and started looking at the heart. And he surrounded and he dedicated his time to mentoring and being a spiritual father for this, for this young man, for that next generation, to become the greatest king ever to rule in Israel. And here's what I believe. I believe that God has greater things for Lake Point Church in 20, 30 years from now. I truly believe that with all my heart. But it won't happen. It will not happen unless we decide to invest in the next generation now. It will not happen. We have to accept, all of us, we have to accept our calling to be spiritual parents, to be spiritual mothers, to be spiritual fathers. Why does it matter? It matters because the young generation in front of us is a mustard seed generation. 
Must to see generation and practice that work in the world are you talking about? Mustard seed. Jesus talked about the mustard seed in Mark chapter 4. And it says in verse 31, he said it's like a mustard seed. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He said it's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. But when it's planted, it grows. And it becomes the largest of all garden plants, which has big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. And, and, and this is exactly like Sir Isaac Newton's story. He's a small, here's a small insignificant seed. And when you look at the exterior of his life, you can easily miss the explosive potential that was inside of his heart. And what is needed for the mustard seed to go from that teeny, tiny side, that small little insignificant seed, what it, what it takes to go from there to the big giant tree, it's got to be planted. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but seed will not be planted on its own. You go buy a pack of seed, that's great, good for you. You may have good intention to do something with it, but nothing happens until you do the hard work. Until you open up that packet and you go outside and, and, and you plant it, you cultivate the ground, fertilize the ground. Yes, God is the one to make the seed grow, but it requires our part, and God uses us to plant seeds. And that's the calling of you and I as spiritual fathers and mothers as spiritual parents. And, and I've seen it so many times over the years. And nothing gives me greater joy than seeing one of those insignificant mustard seeds grow into their full potential. I mean, I've been in ministry now uh, for 20 plus years. And, and, and you know, from seeing kids that I've ministered to, you know, and when I live in Pensacola in my first 10 years of my ministry, yeah, but Pastor Tom can relate to this, you know, right? You can relate to some of those kids, Tom was a youth pastor. And now those kids, right? Those kids are growing up in the Lord. You know, they've got families. They've got, you know, they, 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 they're in church, they're involved. And, 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 I, and I see the planting of insignificant, small, tiny mustard seeds. 20 years ago. I even look at Lake Point Church. You know, Lake Point Church is 12 years old now. And, and, and we're starting to see the young generation that we started with that are now blossoming. Their branches are, are spreading out. They're bringing relief and, and, and hope for the next generation that's beyond us. Uh, we've got one of those stories, my niece. I like to pick on her all the time, but she's a sweet, I love her little girl. And uh, here's your video. Check it out. 10, 11 years now since it first started. I was about six or seven when I first started. 
Definitely, Miss Kim has had a huge impact on me ever since I first started coming here when I was little. She was always here serving faithfully every Sunday. Even now when I volunteer here at 20 years old, she's texting me in the morning making sure I'm up and ready to serve. I work in the nursery right now with all the little babies in the back um, during the first service usually. I do that to, well, to glorify God and serving at the hands and feet of Jesus. From what I've seen from people like Kim, it has really impacted me to really be there for people in the church who want to sit in the church service just so I can, you know, watch their kids for them and not being interruptive during the service. Another person that comes to mind that has really impacted my walk with Jesus is my Aunt Karen Blanchard, Pastor Scott's wife. Um, she has really been an amazing person to look up to, especially in my walk with Jesus. She has really impacted me, and the way that she faithfully devotes herself and her time to Jesus really um, inspires me to grow my walk with Jesus, too. I am so grateful. I am beyond blessed to have Karen in my life, and even my mom and my grandma, watching them serve as well, and especially Miss Kim. Because I have seen so many people and so many volunteers throughout coming through this church um, since I was a young little girl, it, make, it makes, makes a huge impact on me um, because I want to work at the hands and feet of Jesus faithfully too every Sunday. Another thing about Miss Kim is I see her doing this every Sunday because I know she loves Jesus and she is there to glorify Him and in His name. Um, she has made an impact in my life and I hope to make an impact on someone else's life. You see, God is a God of generations. Satan hates this. Satan absolutely hates it when we, when generations move from glory to glory to glory. Uh, you see, he, he has a strategy. Satan has a his long game strategy, if you're taking notes, is to create generational gaps. And what happens is when a, when a body of believers or when a community of believers stop investing in the next generation, when we don't start teaching them God's word, when we don't, when we don't disciple them, and help them to grow. You see, that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to create generational gap. He wants to create that roller coaster where a generation will forget about God. And it's happened in the past. He has succeeded in the past. We see it in, uh, in, in, in the life of Joshua. You know, in chapter 24 of Joshua, Joshua's been in the last, this is last words with the people. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm now an old man, and I'm investing in the next generation, and, and, and I'm going to challenge you to, to, to serve God with all of your heart. Make him number one. Don't worship other gods. And if you do those things, God will continue to bless your generation. And then he died. We pick up the story here. In Judges chapter 2, verse 8. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110. And they buried him, verse number 9, look at verse number 10. 
after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That whole generation had gathered and grew up. That previous generation dropped the ball. And they did not know the Lord, the Bible says. And then the Israelites, verse number 11, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they served the Baals, which is Satan. He wanted to create generational gaps. He, he would rather us, hey, let's just babysit kids. He would rather us, you know, volunteers in the back, just, hey, just babysit the kids, just keep an eye on them. He doesn't want us to disciple. He doesn't want to disciple the next generation. He doesn't want you to invest in somebody as a spiritual mother and a spiritual father. He wants us to just, you know what, it's no big deal. They can figure it out on their own. They'll plug into spiritual maturity on their own. That's what Satan wants, to create generational gaps. Late point, I pray that we never allow us to do that. I pray we never allow Satan to win. And I'm not talking about you volunteering in, in kids' church or, or in our youth program. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to step into the role of a spiritual parent surround yourself with someone that needs you. Open your heart. Allow God to give us a genuine heart of a, of a father's heart, a mother's heart, the heart of a spiritual parent, the heart that once allowed a young boy called Isaac, Sir Isaac Newton, to grow out from a spiral of darkness into light. You see, your greatest contribution may not be something that you do, but someone that you raise. A prayer is that, number one, you would leave here today. Who do I need, who do I need to invest in? And, and maybe, maybe God is calling you to say, you know what, be an LP kid volunteer. Be an LP student volunteer. And don't just be a volunteer, but be in there and make a difference in the kid's life, in the student's life. But maybe God's not calling you back there, but that doesn't mean that you're exempt from being a spiritual parent and a spiritual uh, 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 mother or father, and, you know, look around. Maybe, hey, parent, maybe you've got kids. And, 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 and God never called you, mom and dad, to parent your kids. You have a greater calling than that. God called you to disciple your kids. You're to disciple them. You know, and, and, and there may be some of you say, hey, I, I, I have kids. You know, my kids are all grown up. I need to look back and, and who's the next generation? Who can I invest in? Your greatest contribution may not be something that you do, but someone that you raise. Let's plant the seed of the next generation for the glory of God.